0: Stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick. And this week I'm going solo to talk about the secrets of great blue chip stock investors. So they aren't always who you think. So on this episode, I'm not going to talk about Buffett, Munger, Kathy Wood or Peter Lynch or whoever else, what other, other great stock professional you can think of that would fit into a great blue chip stock investor type of person. No, this week I'm going to talk about the mom and pop investors, people like you and I, who just happened to like stocks and invested and did well. So for the most part, they didn't buy some obscure small cap company, at least most of them didn't. <laughs> They bought big cap winners that paid dividends and they compounded their money into, in some cases, millions of dollars over the course of several decades. That's one of the biggest secrets. Building wealth through the blue chip stocks takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. Sure, there are some who became millionaires in uh, the pandemic years here during the meme stock craze. Those are with GameStop and amc but that appears to be over now and was kind of a one off thing that happened and good for them for those that got into that trade and cashed it out and um, now are you know able to buy blue chips instead <laughs> off of it but how do these other great investors do it how do they start with a small amount of money and grow it into in some cases millions of dollars? So I'm going to run through what I think are some of their secrets, having read articles about these individuals over the years. And I've covered many of them on the podcast over the years as well. I keep looking for more. So if anyone sees any news stories about a kind of regular investor who... Um, you know, suddenly donates a lot of money or dies with an estate that's, you know, huge and they're donating the money. That's usually how the story comes out because they donate a, a big portion to, to somewhere and people are surprised that this person who had kind of a normal job, uh, you know, was able to amass these huge sums of money. So, so here are their secrets. So buy the blue chips uh, that paid the dividends. So a lot of these great investors love getting that dividend and uh, to their credit back in the day in the 60s 1970s and 1980s when they were maybe first investing a lot of more companies paid the dividend that was like part of the contract really you you didn't really buy that many companies that didn't pay the dividends. So they kind of already were in these blue chips. But what are blue chips? So usually they're S&P 500 companies that dominate their industry, and then they pay the dividend. So that usually means the larger caps, if they're S&P 500, they don't have to be S&P 500, but they're usually a company that's been around a while, and there are some small caps or mid caps that have been around a while that just have never grown into the big caps. So those I, I do believe would qualify. Um, blue chips are also sometimes considered, you know, relatively boring. If you mention them to people, they might be like, oh, that company, no, that's boring. So some examples of these on the big cap side would be like Caterpillar, ticker C A T. They're paying a dividend yielding 2.2% right now. Fastenol, the fastener guys uh used in construction, Fastenal, F-A-S-T, also used in manufacturing. Um, Dividend yielding 2.2% and McDonald's on the restaurant side, ticker MCD, dividend yielding 2.1%. A lot of the blue chip investors have owned one or all of these probably over the last like couple decades. So those those are examples of some blue chips. So secret number two, once you get those blue chips, is to diversify your portfolio. So you might have started out with just one stock. And I'm thinking about the secretary at Abbott Labs. Um, I forget her name now. She was the one who um, worked as a secretary there starting way back in like the 1940s or 1950s. She was given some stock as part of her compensation. She never sold it. She did live uh, well into her 90s, I believe. And when she died, that was worth several million dollars. But usually most of the blue chip investors diversify that's why they're getting the dividends because they want to buy other stocks. So um, remember the janitor gas station attendant from Vermont. Ronald Reed was his name. He died in 2014 at age 92 and he was all over the news mostly because uh, they like to point out that he was a janitor gas station attendant. So he made, uh, you know, he, he wasn't a professional at a bank or a lawyer or a doctor uh, making huge income, and yet he managed by age 92 to amass a fortune of $8 million. He had 95 stocks when he died, and that's a lot. Most investors can't keep track of that many stocks. Warren Buffett has said that five stocks could be diverse but most experts put it between 10 and 20 to have diversity in your portfolio. So Ronald Reed's portfolio included some names like J.M. Smucker, CBS, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, J.P. Morgan Chase, GE, and Dow Chemical. He did take the dividends and he bought more stocks. Now he did make mistakes. In the articles uh, surrounding his death, they talked about how he owned Lehman Brothers, remember them? They went bankrupt in the financial crisis, but because he was diverse and he had he had a lot of stocks, these 95 stocks, his portfolio didn't take that much of a hit from a complete uh, bankruptcy. So that's a good thing to follow for anyone investing, always have a zone of safety in case something goes wrong. So most of these top blue chip investors are diverse and own, you know, 10 to 20 stocks and maybe some ETFs in there too. But uh, they're definitely not just in, you know, one stock normally (laughs) or even, you know, five or less, even though Buffett says you could do five. That's um, that's pretty much on the slim side. But most experts say 10 to 20. So speaking of diversity, diversity, you don't necessarily have to own technology. So Ronald Reed didn't own any technology and he still got to $8 million in there. Um, And I I normally don't see uh, a lot of people in these stories that were like early Microsoft or Apple investors. Remember, neither one of those companies paid a dividend until much, much later apple didn't pay a dividend until after steve jobs died because jobs did not believe in the dividend so and microsoft after the dot-com bust is when they started paying one so a lot of times um, these older tech names don't really show up in most of these blue chip portfolios and many of the investors just kind of ignore the technologies they ignore the netflix And the amazons you know neither one paying a dividend um so ronald reed didn't own it and remember my family friend ed who turned fifty thousand dollars from 1990 into five million dollars by 2021 he's in his 90s and he told me he didn't own any tech either but he bought things like bank of america ticker bac Uh, 10 years ago when Warren Buffett bought it, a little over 10, 12 years ago now, I guess it is, um, he bought in when Buffett bought in. He's been getting that dividend. He also owns Ford, GE, Sherwin-Williams, where he used to work previously. Um, So a lot of those, just the old blue chip companies, some of which are paying a nicer dividend, some of which cut their dividend completely, and um, some which didn't turn out all that great. That's why you need the diversity. Uh, Ed acknowledged that he uses his losses in General Electric to offset gains elsewhere in his portfolio. So there are these techniques that some of these blue chip investors work, but, um, you know, they don't necessarily have to own tech. Now, there are some tech names that are considered blue chips now that you may want to be in, like an Apple Um, AAPL is a ticker. It's paying a dividend yielding 0.5% only. And Microsoft MSFT, which I own in my own personal portfolio, my long-term portfolio, that is paying just 0.8% now because of the surge in these shares in both companies. Microsoft used to pay over a percent, which isn't great, but at least it was something. Um, And it's still something at 0.8 and so is Apple at 0.5 but the blue chip investors like to get um, a little bit higher dividends among their blue chips because again they like to use it as part of their strategy to buy more shares so turning to the next secret that yield is part of the strategy it's not just a one off or oh we're just getting some extra money on the side. Blue chip investors do rely on the dividend payouts to either buy more shares of the stock, um, you know, to do the share buybacks in that particular stock, or they just take the cash and they diversify that into other stocks. So 2% to 4% a year, compounded over 20, 30, or 40 years, really starts to add up. It doesn't seem like much when you're first getting it you know, even that Microsoft 8% when you get like the dividend for that, you, you just kind of unless you own a tremendous number of shares, which most of us do not, you kind of laugh at it, right? Like, oh, I just got, you know, uh, you know, a couple of lattes right there. That's about it. But again, over longer time periods, this really adds up. Now remember the 7% rule that rule states that at 7% annualized return, you will double your money in 10 years. So imagine if you're already getting 3% from a dividend, you only need a 4% gain on those shares to get to the 7% rule of doubling every 10 years. And if you get more than that, then you're gonna double in less time, obviously. So if you can manage to get you know, 15%, you're, you're gonna double in five years so that's pretty impressive dividends matter and they matter a lot to long-term investors i know many of you tech investors or you know you the meme investors you might be laughing at the thought of seven percent and me going on and on about how that's good and you double every 10 years because the s p 500 just doubled in three years right with an over 25 percent year gain that's not normal i took a look at the nasdaq 100 um here's the returns for the last three years on the nasdaq 100 2019 it was 37.96 so basically 38 percent 2020 was 47.6 percent and 2021 was 26.6 percent so you're more than doubling uh over that three-year time period and so When I'm talking about 7% or a 3% dividend and in 2020 NASDAQ 100 investors gained 47%. um, It's kind of hard to think about this other strategy but dividend or um, you know blue chip investors think about the longer term. They know that NASDAQ or S&P 500 return that we just had is not going to last forever. And they want something more consistent for when it doesn't. Um, and I look back to see when the NASDAQ 100 maybe wasn't this good and it wasn't that long ago. In 2015, um, it was up just 8.4% in 2016, 5.9%. So um, actually, was that even up 8.4? might have been down in 2015. Either way, it wasn't that good in 2015 and 2016. So if you're trying to do 7%, that's that's where that comes in because that dividend really will help boost you towards that 7% or above. It'll get you hopefully maybe to the 10% level and then you're doubling every seven years at the 10%. So again, these gains we've seen over the last few years have been out of the norm But the blue chips have also performed well. So you've gotten those dividends as a bonus if you were in some of those blue chip stocks. And um, so you're doing even better under this kind of strategy. So what kind of blue chip stocks should you be looking at in 2022? I tried to find some. (laughs) So I ran a screen of number ones and number twos because those should have rising earnings estimates. So I do want my blue chip stocks to still be good performers, right? If I'm going to own them for a number of years and I'm going to trust them to pay me that dividend, I want them to have rising earnings. I want them to have some growth um, on both revenue and and in the earnings side. That's where you get the rising. And, um, you know, I want it to have a decent dividend, not paying what Microsoft or Apple are paying me. So I ran a screen of number ones and twos for the Zacks rank. That's the buys and the strong buys looking for over three percent yield but and i thought that would be kind of easy uh but it wasn't that easy and most of the stocks i got were mostly in the commodity area so yes exxon ticker xom and chevron CVX both have the good zax rank and both have big dividends uh chevron's almost paying four percent exxon is paying a little bit over four percent now so both are pretty juicy But I wanna own these blue chips for many years. And so I'm not sure with energy, with the green energy revolution, with electric vehicles being on the upswing, that energy is going to be the place I still wanna be in say five, seven, or 10 years out. In the near term, I love it. In the longer term, not so much so i'm going to avoid those for this podcast because that's going to be up to you if you think you can time it on uh the energy trade then maybe go for it but otherwise i want something that um, i don't have to be concerned that it's going to be you know out of the scene so to speak in only you know less than a decade possibly so I ran the screen with dividend yields over 2% so that I would get a more variety of companies, especially after seeing that Caterpillar, McDonald's, and Fastenal are both paying just over 2%. um, And I do consider those to be, you know, long-term hold blue chippers type of companies. So I put together a list of five names. Um, They're not all big caps, but they're at least mids mids and bigs so um, they're mostly big though and that would make sense with the dividend yields as well now I did not include any banks in this one there were a lot of banks on the screen for obvious reasons they have better Zacks ranks right now um, and they are mostly paying pretty good dividends once again and I do encourage people to look at the banks I know many of us who are older investors still kind of feel the burn from the great recession right 15 years ago and also we might have had banks that went under that went BK which we never thought would have been possible that we could lose out. Um, These are supposed to be kind of safe investments and then over the last 15 years even if our banks survived the bank stocks have really not gone anywhere and for many years. They were forbidden from paying dividends out, so they weren't even paying us dividends. And so it's just not been a good investment over the last 15 years. But that's why I would like to look at it now. And I encourage everybody to take a look at banks, look at the ones in your town, um, you know, listen in on those conference calls, take a deep dive, kind of see what's going on, see if those earnings are rising. Again, we're going to get Fed rate increases. It should help local more community type banks. Um, so take a look there, see what's going on. But I like the banks here, and a lot of them are paying very nice dividends, many over 3% even. So check those out. Okay, so let's dive right in and see what the stocks are that I pulled out here. They're all names, except maybe one or two that you're not super familiar with, but you know them. So the first one out the gate is Broadcom on the semi side. AVGO is the ticker. It pays a 2.8% yield. Shares are down about 10% year to date. So they've gotten a little bit cheaper. Market cap of $242 billion. So they're one of the big ones. This is one of the nicer yields in the semi-side, actually, is Broadcom. So, um, you know, this is definitely one to consider. The PE has fallen now down to 17.8. So it's not dirt cheap, but it's cheaper than the S&P 500 right here. So Broadcom AVGO is the first stock. Then I stayed on the tech side with Cisco. Yes, this is old tech, the big winner of the 1990s. But since then, it really hasn't been ticker CSCO. It's paying a dividend yield of 2.7%. I'd love to get it with a yield over 3%, that would make it pretty juicy to me. Year to date, the shares are down 13%, but over the last two years, they're only up 14.8. So they have been trailing the S&P 500 by quite a big margin. PE is at 16, so it's cheap, but it's not dirt cheap. So if you look at the chart on Cisco, um, while the shares are down 13%, they're still kind of trading in the narrow trading range from the last year, and they haven't completely broken down at all. So if I could get a breakdown in a company like Cisco, I might be interested in it, because if I get the breakdown, that yield is probably going to push up over 3%. So I would like that scenario a little bit better. $232 billion on the market cap, so it is one of the big, big cappers. Uh, But this is considered one of the boring tech stocks because it hasn't really done that much over the last even 22 years since the tech bust. Um, But that's why, you know, some blue chip investors may be interested in Cisco, ticker CSCO. Then I'm switching over to kind of more techish paychecks. P-A-Y-C-H-E-X is the ticker. P-A-Y-X is an X-ray. That's the ticker. Sorry. Paychex is the name. But I'm spelling it out so that you know that it has that X at the end. They pay a dividend of 2.2%, market cap of $43 billion. And they run basically um, software for H.R., that, you know, you can tap if you're an employee, you can go in there and see what your benefits are, um, how many sick days you have, what your paychecks is like, obviously the name paychecks. So this has been kind of a hot area, but year to date, shares are down 11.7%, but still kind of pricey on the stock PE of 33. So you're not really getting a deal here, even though the shares are down, but I'm including it because it's an interesting growth Kind of area and you are getting that dividend over two percent and so um we're trying to think outside the box than just some of the older types of companies so paychecks kind of falls in that newer tech realm okay switching on to a name most of us know writer ticker r so it's only the single letter r and uh, they're on the smaller side, so they're a mid-cap with $3.8 billion market cap. Year-to-date, these shares are down 12.3%, so they're on logistics and trucking. Many of us might know Ryder because we rented a Ryder truck to move from our apartment, but they're big on the business side and the logistics side for Ryder, so that's where uh, they're seeing big business growth. Dividend is yielding 3.3%. So I'm liking that because it's over 3%. And the P.E. is dirt cheap, a 7.8% only. So Ryder Shares getting cheaper now that they're down 12%. Might be worth looking into this one and seeing what's going on. And then we're going to wrap it up with the fifth stock, which is Whirlpool, ticker WHR so they have a 12 billion market cap we all know that appliances have been hot but many think it's peak appliances year to date down 14 percent so the shares have gotten cheaper now it has a pe of 7.2 times but was this peak earnings with the strong demand with home building being highs and remodeling being highs we're all stuck in our home we're all buying those new appliances Some think so, that's why you got that low PE, because the E is still rising, but some don't think it'll last. So this uh, could be more of a value-ish type trap possibly, but um, if it gets even cheaper, it sells off even further, I might be um, still interested. And home builders still reporting strong demand, still reporting they cannot get the appliances. So. Still could see some demand well into 2023 that the street is not expecting. Now, what's the dividend yield on this one? It's 2.8, so I'm liking that more, and I would like it even better if it was over the 3%. I get kind of greedy with these uh, dividends, don't you? Don't, don't you want to you hire one, obviously, and if the shares sell off further, then I will get more. But Whirlpool, kind of an interesting play here because the street is basically disregarding it and saying that the story is over, but it might not be. So um, that's the five stocks. And there's plenty of others that you could be taking a look at. Like I said, the banks, um, some of the commodities, but that might not be as long a term as you think. So it all depends on what your outlook is and your strategy. But these mom and pop investors who were able to amass these big portfolios didn't just do it over 10 years. they did it over 40, or 30 to 50 years. That's how long you need to amass it. Um, but the compounding will do its job and the dividends will compound as well. So keep that in mind. Compounding both the stock price and the dividend is very powerful in investing. So I like talking about these regular mom and pop investors because they make it seem so easy to do over the course of a couple decades. We all know it's not that easy, but they make it seem like it is. And uh, that's what I like about it because if they can do it, you can do it too. And it's uh, all up to, you know, keeping that strategy going and reinvesting those dividends. So let me recap some of the stocks I talked about today. So there was Caterpillar, C-A-T, Fastenal, F-A-S-T, McDonald's, M-C-D, then we talked about Exxon, XOM, Chevron, CVX. And then we had Broadcom, AVGO is a ticker. So that has the weird ticker that doesn't match with the name. So keep that in mind. Broadcom is AVGO. Cisco, CSCO. Then we had Paychex, P-A-Y-X. We had Rider, ticker R. And we had Whirlpool, WHR for that one. And as always, you want to be sure to subscribe so you can get all the Zach's Market Edge podcasts as we go through this year of 2022, which has a lot of uncertainties and questions that we will be talking about here on the shows. So be sure to subscribe, get us anywhere. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Amazon Music, we're on SoundCloud, where you can also get the Value Investor podcast. So get us somewhere, and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.